again, it's that time for another episode of the Wrist Cheese Radio Podcast. Your home for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and what's that last one? Uh, unpopular opinions. Yeah, there hey. we go. You know, since the inception of this show, I've uh, been seeing a lot of unpopular opinion content lately. Just an observation. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, uh, it seems like it's popping up quite a bit. It's popular to be unpopular. It is. Maybe this is the way of the future. Just, a, just an observation. Just saying. Could be coincidence. Probably not. Could be coincidence. I don't think so. Over 17 episodes. But hey, here we are bringing you unpopular watch opinions. And we will continue to do so. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. As if you don't already know, I'm your host, Brodinky, with my co-host here, Schmidt. Schmidt, how are we this week? We are doing well. We're doing well. Family's good. Work is good. Life is good. And I'm happy to be recording another episode. How are you, my friend? Pretty excited. Super Bowl's this weekend. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little get together at my father's house. So that's going to be nice. He gets to see the kids. He's hyped about that. You know, uh, I may or may not have influenced a friendly wager between some buddies because we have the Cincinnati Bengals against the LA Rams. Yeah. Whiskey and watches is in Cincinnati. Spirit of time is in Mm. LA. So I believe they have beers bet on this game. You know, that's a, that's actually, that's not bad. I like it. And it's, and it's funny because like, again, I'm not a a huge, I'm not a huge NFL guy, but if you had told me five years ago that the Bengals and the Rams would be competing against the Super Bowl, I thought you were insane. It's just not something I don't think anybody could have seen coming. Yeah, they used to be they used to call them the Bungles. <laughs> yeah, man, had so many different names. Or the Ben Jails, depending on who they're... was on the team. <laughs> just so many bad years for both of these teams. It's kind of awesome that they have a redemptive season <clears throat> and get to get to go play in the Super Bowl. That's yeah, gonna be cool. That, are you... That's exciting. Yeah, man. Are you are you whipping up anything cool? Actually, you know, I think I got uh the night off which is nice i think my, my dad's no so hyped way. yeah and we, we have a friend coming over and he makes like the most bomb fried chicken of all time so i'm stoked mm. for that solid like, solid yeah. yeah you get to actually enjoy an event and have to make food for everybody and kick back and crack some cold ones yeah yell at the tv a little bit scare the kids there you go. it's gonna be great <laughs> <laughs> love it i'm here for it <laughs> speaking of my Good friends over at Whiskey and Watches. I would like to extend them a quick congratulations. They just hit 100 episodes. I don't know how you do that. 17 in, I'm like, this is a quite the grind. So 100 it's a is, job. 100 is an accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. However, I, I'm in six of those. So I have a hand in 6% of their content right now. There I believe that. I think that makes me a minority stakeholder by, by some stretch. Hey, you know, maybe you are. I don't know. I don't know. But hey, guys, uh, on the real, real, congratulations. 100 episodes is no small feat. Keep putting out great content. People will keep consuming it. And congrats again. I would also like to congratulate them on a 10-minute wrist check this week. I think that might be a watch podcast record. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. If nobody can tell, I'm being facetious. Um, Oh, for sure. A a few episodes back, I made a joke about a 45-minute wrist check. and. Spence said, wow, we got through that one in 10 minutes. I, you know, the, like I was going to be impressed by that. So I had, to, I had to throw a little acknowledgement on that one. But um, 
you know, if, if nobody knows, it, a lot of us podcasters are, are friends behind the scenes. And yeah, so if you're not absolutely. familiar, it's almost like a like a frat, right? Like we, it's just a bunch of watch bros. We openly rag on each other, whether it's publicly or in our private chats or whatever. And then you kind of just wait for the next opportunity to one up someone and up the ante a little bit. And you just you just keep going. It's fun. Right? Absolutely. No, uh, absolutely. No shade. It's all love, you know. Absolutely. I mean, we're all we're all here. We're all content creators. We're all here to have a good time and, and razz on each other. I mean, if not, life would be utterly boring. So, again, congrats, guys. Congrats again on your 10 minute risk check and not a 45 minute one. But uh, now uh, we'll, we'll see if the rest of the industry can catch up to that metric. Yeah, but it's it's very much uh, it's it's a brotherhood and it it kind of shows the, be. be- the better side of the hobby that we don't get to talk about too much. <laughs> yes, yes. At least not on this podcast. Yeah, I would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) So that said, bro, what do we got on the docket for today? Let me lead in with last week. We talked about sleeper watches, and that Mm -hmm. was in contrast to, I guess, the, the pantheon of quintessential watch collector watches that are constantly thrown in our face. We're constantly exposed to them by social channels telling us what the the quintessential diver or dress piece or chronograph is, whatever it might be, right? So we had kind yeah, yeah. of that that alternative episode last week. And with a lot of those watches come availability issues. But that aside, I think people are becoming maybe a little more cognizant to maybe some of the drawbacks or shortcomings of these ultra popular pieces now that people are talking yeah. about them in a less positive light because they're hard to get. The prices are really high. People are saying, maybe I'm not in love with this, right? Because we're, yeah, we're, yeah, fed, yeah. These, we're fed these watches as grail tier all the time. And so, somebody I was talking to today said he has a GMT Master. And he's like, I got to try on the Ceramic Daytona. I was really underwhelmed. And he's like, I put my GMT on. And I was like, I like this so much better. And I was like, no, I get that. Is it, that isn't that sense. odd? Isn't that odd? I do have to say, I find, I find the tiering of why things go up certain amounts kind of strange like i think i prefer I, the gmt master to the daytona I, 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 they're I mean, not that far apart in price by msrp i mean no not by msrp but i mean if you look at you know the secondary market prices i mean i think the daytona is now hitting over 50 is yeah, what i'm saying last... why, why like why is I, that 50 i don't know i don't know not even in that ballpark i don't know I mean, I, I look today in preparation for this podcast and, you know, a white dial Oyster Perpetual is $10,000. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't even have a date. It's literally like the basic bargain Rolex that you could possibly get. That's any type of desirable model. And it's 10 grand. Are you kidding me for that money? I would buy so many other watches before that one with complications. Mind <laughs> you. I mean, that that watch at a, at a secondary price is more expensive than the GMT Master at retail. Yeah, like that is that is a shocking number to me, and and one that I quite frankly do not understand. So, ladies and gentlemen, friends, PSA: Please don't buy an OP for ten grand. It's literally not worth it, like at all. It's double the price of that watch. The colored and ones what, are up up around twenty, and then obviously the stupidest exactly. one is higher than that, but. Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we've beat that horse. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's yeah, I'm just I don't understand it. And and I 
The Daytona keeps going up. I keep seeing it rise, and I'm not entirely sure as to why. I don't know who I don't know who's paying fifty thousand dollars for this watch. Well, that was my I question. I was, imagine- I was gonna I was gonna ask you that because I was that was another conversation I was having with someone because I made fun of somebody. <laughs> I think it was Mondani or somebody put up a, a an optic of the Daytona at twenty five. I think like three yeah. years ago, and yeah, then I like forty two years ago, and then fifty this year. And I was like, you know, lol at buying at any of these prices because that's way above msrp either way yeah i get it i i'm not a stranger to the game i understand secondary pricing but at least at the lower levels you're like okay somebody would overpay if they really really wanted this thing fifty thousand dollars is beyond overpaying no it's a joke i mean fifty thousand dollars you're you're overpaying for a gold version you know what i mean and this is stainless steel again with asymmetrical lugs which i will never unsee ever again and i will keep beating this horse into oblivion because it just people need to know and the pinions are not aligned the subdials are not aligned with the center pinion kind of weird yes that is a big thing that people bring up because typically you would see the subdials on either side of the pinion and they're all in the same plane it's the daytonas are kind of squished together and down which again when you see it you can't unsee it it's just there. And it's a symmetry thing. Some people really love that. I think it looks horrible. You know, I'm not a big Daytona fan, as you could probably tell. But if you could get one at the retail price of, you know, I don't know, 12000 or so dollars, 12 and a half like, or whatever. They're 14 now. Huh? 14 With Okay. The pricing. They, they, yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> right. I forgot. We had a 10% price increase at the beginning of the year. Because I about that. Because, yeah, reasons. Um, but if you think about that, at fourteen thousand dollars, is it a is it a good watch? Sure. Is it a desirable watch? Sure. Fine. At fifty, you are literally on drugs. It doesn't make that. sense. I I can net a set in the Speedmaster and have enough to pick up another very very sexy piece. At that price, bro, you could buy the full white gold Canopus model. And a lot of people are like, well, it's, why is it so much more expensive than the Sedna? Because the cannabis is literally made of all precious materials. It's made of gold, palladium, platinum, and rhodium. It's the only white gold that I am aware of on the market today that utilizes all of those materials and does not have any semi-precious or less noble metals inside of it. Because typically when you do a white gold, you get nickel, plate, right? You're not necessarily uh, silver, typically nickel can be sometimes, but usually you're plating things in rhodium. This doesn't need plating because it is already inside of the material. All four of those metals are extremely expensive and to have them in such a high concentration to make the metal white is ridiculous. That watch is like 45,000 or something like that. I would much rather buy that because it's actually an incredible watch than buy a steel Daytona at $2,000 more. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. Even from I'm just a, a melt weight perspective. No, it, it, there's, there's nothing. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And the fact that people are willing to buy that at that price, or at least that's what the market is commanding that price to be, is literally mind boggling to me. It does not make any sense. But a guy did tell me he got a call from one for his dad's 55th birthday. So I told him, I hope you jumped on it. Like, not going to get that opportunity again. You might as well get it. 
Yeah, I mean, might as well get it and sell it for 50 grand. Well, it's for his dad. I said, just tell him, hey, buddy, you know who that's getting left to? <laughs> yeah, well, that was that's that's a story for another time with my family. But yeah, <laughs> oh, that was a brutal story, but we won't talk about that anyway. Fifty thousand dollar Daytona's if it's a just, no go. Just just don't just don't do it. Just don't do it. Everyone just needs to stop buying Rolex and let the market fall out on it. If you want to pay retail again, everyone just stop buying it. Stop. Just just don't do it. Force these people to bring the prices down. That's it. We've created our own monster. So anyway, with this tangent worked in here, <laughs> in talking with somebody who who's been writing for a lot of sites for a while in person. I met up with him one time in uh, New York City, and he said to me, I've never held a watch that I wouldn't change something on at some level of detail or another. And I feel like that kind of stuck with me because I was like, we, we were talking about things that were coming out that year. And yeah, uh, and I was like, you know, this or that bothers me. And he's like, you know, I was like, maybe I'm just nitpicking. And he's like, listen, I always find something wrong. So don't think that's weird i'm like all right cool so like that kind of always stuck with me so like when i approach a watch that i'm going to think i'm gonna like or i'm gonna maybe want to buy but i try to see it through my own lens as opposed to the social clout social criteria that i feel like people yeah. weigh now when they're buying a watch yeah maybe that's where you and i differ because i really just don't frankly care what other people think about what i wear well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I've kind of stopped <clears throat> entirely in that regard. Yeah. I, when I make a purchase, I'm making it solely for myself. It might be cool if like, you know, I'm with a buddy and then he's like, oh yeah, this looks really nice. Or I'm with my wife and she's like, yeah, this looks awesome on you. I think you should get it. That's a different story, but I'm not buying anything in my collection based on market or based on resellability or based on any type of perceived value thereafter. Like I'm buying because I like it. That's it. Yeah. So I guess what it all boils down to is, right, you know, all watches, no matter how good they are, are not for everyone. And I would say that's a good thing, realistically. Right. It leaves market share for other people. It spreads out the diversity of collections. At the end of the day, that is a good thing. Right. So right. today we are going to discuss popular watches that maybe don't resonate so much with either one of us for one reason or another. Okay. 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 These are going to be either popular or well-regarded or championed watches. And we're just going to go ahead and ruin them for everybody else. Just kidding. I'm, I'm, for, <laughs> just it. I'm for it. Hey, you know, we're talking about unpopular watch opinions and taboo topics. This is literally two check marks. All right. Like this is what we do. So I'll let you kick it off since you, since you brought us in, what do you got? All right. Well, I, I honestly doubt we're going to change anybody's mind, right? These things are so subjective, but 100%. I like, I like to think there's still value in critique and maybe opening up these type of conversations because hobbies like this can be lonely at times if you don't know a lot of people. And if you have maybe your own set of viewpoints that maybe don't jive with the popular narratives, 100%. you might feel very alone in that. But yeah, you know, if maybe only a few people feel that their kind of atypical view is justified, I feel like that's more of a, a sense of community than the, what we usually joke around with as community. Right, right, right. <laughs> But I have a pretty wide spectrum here, kind of up and down the, I guess, price charts. I'm going to kick it off with um, probably my favorite brand. This way people can't call me a hater, which is Seiko, obviously. Mm. So Seiko, not that long ago, released what people like to call the 
Dress KX. From its inception, I've never, ever understood this watch. I look at it, and I, I've seen the descriptions of it, and they're always very different. Someone has said it's a, a field watch. I don't really see that. Someone has said, is it kind of like a dressy, sporty watch? I guess. It has diver plots. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's something about this. It just looks confused. That's, that's the best way to put it. It it's looks confused. like a confused release. Yeah, it's it's totally confused. And what throws me off the most about this watch is the bezel. I I was about to get there. Oh, I'll let, I'll let you get there because I'm just like, oh man. Well, it's I'm, just I'm it's a, a it's a smooth bezel, you know, around diver plots. It just looks strange to me because I'm yeah. I don't know if I'm just conditioned by the aesthetic of the Seiko dial to no, expect you're not. that. But I am looking for some kind of bezel there. Well, it's just it it it's the the proportionality is wrong. That's that's honestly what it is for me. I think I think you started seeing this kind of style in the Seiko modern community where people were removing the bezels from, you know, the traditional SKX models and then putting a smooth aftermarket bezel on it to make it kind of like a field watch, yeah. right? Or something that was a little bit more akin to to that style. But it just never looked right because it was never designed within proportion because it was never designed to have that type of bezel, right? So you have a really thick, bulging bezel that has an aggressive slant downward, and it just doesn't fit. Yeah. And then on top of that, they added thinner hands. It just, it looks weird to me. It just doesn't, it, it I think you said it right. It's confused. 100%. Yeah. And pair that with the, the newer Seiko 5 logo, which I, I don't think anybody likes. I don't mind it. It doesn't bother me because I always felt like the other one was kind of silly it always reminded me of kind of like a like a badge or like a patch. Yeah. It just wasn't like my favorite. I feel like I they should have ju- they should have just went with like a Roman numeral like a V. Yeah. Just call it a day. I mean, or just put it on the back. Like everyone knows it's a Seiko <laughs> 5. Like like I mean, you know, like what are we doing here? Like we know what it is based on the price point. Like we and, don't need it stamped yeah. on the dial. And then the the last peculiar thing about this watch is the font of automatic on it it's in this script, script confused and that's totally out of left field that's like a dressy confused. script that's like something i would see on a presage yep well isn't isn't it the same font on the on the actual seiko 5 divers in quotes isn't it the same like scripted automatic font it could i'm be. pretty sure it is because i know when when that watch was released the it is the non-diver diver model i don't know what they're calling it but it's like it doesn't make sense no. cohesively. Like, why not just put automatic in the same font as Seiko or whatever it is? Like, I don't understand why we're I don't understand what aggravated young watch designers like we're gonna script it because it looks cool. I'm like, it doesn't look cool at all. I don't know. Unless their goal sense. was to just make this thing all over the place, in which case they succeeded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you've seen how many variations of both of these watches have come yeah. out, and they're all like in crazy colors. They got like Street Fighter versions and and Naruto versions, and like all this kind of crazy stuff. I'm just like, yeah. I, and and this like, was well received. Right? This release, people seem to like this. Yeah, it's not for me. I'm sorry, the proportions are way off. This doesn't do it. No, and I don't know if it's the because it's on a brace. I mean, I I think it looks a little better on a, a NATO, but. I don't know. It's it is. It's proportionately bad. I think that's what it is. I also hate the minute hand. Oh, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. It's like 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 stumpy looking it, to me. It reminds me of that Bulova 
where the hands are supposed to be Fourth of July firecrackers? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's what yes, it reminds yes. me of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of that watch. I yeah, know they did a, a reissue it, of it. It went for but... a lot of money, that thing. Yeah. And then they prompted them to do a reissue. It's just there's so many things about this watch that just cohesively just don't make sense. So we'll just we'll just leave this one as it's confused. Okay. And there you go. All right. You are up, my friend. So um, I hear this word thrown around a lot, especially as like new up and comers um, in the watch industry, in the watch game, in the hobby, if you will. I hear the word God tier thrown around a lot. And I don't know where this came from. I imagine some from famous or infamous YouTubers kind of started this trend of God tier watches. Um, but one of my least favorite God tier watches is the Casio F91W. The godliest. I, I just, guys, I'm sorry. I can't get behind this watch. We all know it sucks. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> we know it's not a great watch. We know it's not amazing, yet we are promoting it as if it is the best watch invention in the last 20, you know, 20 years. It's not. It's a Casio. It's digital. It works. It does the job. It's no fuss, no frills. We get that. Don't promote this as some amazing achievement of urology. It's not. It's like a $25 watch at Walmart. Get over yourselves. Remove this God tier label because it's not that and just call it for what it is. It's a Casio with little rubber buttons. That's it. Move on. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess that's why it's so cheap, right? I, I mean, it's just like, I understand if you're like a barista or you're like a college student or high school student where you have no money and you're getting into watches. I get that. But for people to be up here, Touting this watch is something that's revolutionary, like some type of ironic secret we've all recently rediscovered from our childhood. Like, no, it's it's a Casio. Like, if you want to have in your collection, no shame. But don't go out there promoting it as this, like, amazing piece of or logical kit because it's not that. It's just a watch that works, okay? I mean, like, like let's not – it's like saying a Timex Expedition or a – Weekender or an easy reader is somehow the most revolutionary watch of 2022. It's not. It's just a watch that works. No offense to anybody that has one. I have one myself. But I'm not going to sit on YouTube and proclaim it as the most amazing watch over other watch brands. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I just think it's one of those. Uh, it's almost like the humble brag. Like, look how thrifty and look how yeah, I down mean, to earth i am i wear this i, I mean I get, it. I get it beater but it just it just reminds me and and we were talking about this offline it reminds me of william hung from american idol and for any of our young listeners who don't know who this is you need to google him everyone who's older understands who the heck i'm talking about but it's like this guy was on american idol everyone in the world knew this dude was absolutely terrible and yet people kept voting for and they him. Voted they, him kept pushing, they kept pushing him along because it was the inside joke that this dude literally sucked. And like everyone kind of felt bad and, and wanted to show you know pity on him. And so they kept pushing this dude further along so he could continually embarrass himself for the world. That is what the Casio F91W is. It is a watch that we all understand 
is a watch. It functions. It's awesome. It does the job for what it was designed to do, which is be cheap and expensive and disposable. It is not an amazing or logical achievement. Okay. But stop touting it as that. It's just a watch that works. No offense to William Hung, if you ever were to listen to this podcast. He did make an album. I remember he had he Ricky, did. He had Ricky was, Martin on it. And it was <laughs> certifiably terrible. All right, up next, my next choice is, I'll give you the American pronunciation first, which would be Maurice LaCroix. But if you want to get all fancy schmancy, <laughs> it would be, I guess, Maurice LaCroix. <laughs> it's the icon i guess that's how you say uh, yes it. yeah icon spell with an a yes yeah, that's I, right. I keep seeing acon speaking of musical artists yeah i <laughs> won't let me uh oh my up. god yeah I, that's what i see when i see this the name you're, show, you're showing your age bro you're showing your age come on that was a banger back in the day dude acon was so good i i miss i miss acon he's doing some big things over in uh west africa i think right i think he's building a bunch of villages and like putting lights up everywhere for places that didn't have them and stuff and i mean I that he, or or embezzling money and it, hey, I heard saying he's, he's i mean who i knows? heard he's trying to build some futuristic city and he's gonna make it all run on cryptocurrency so see how that goes okay so he's basically uh yeah okay maybe he's a didn't know that i don't know <laughs> didn't didn't know that but hey you know more power to akon <laughs> back to this interesting piece here this almost reminds me of the similar look to the laureato that i talked about last week except instead yeah. of having all the good parts of all the watches to me it has kind of just this unappealing look of something that's all of the popular dress watches put together all the sporty dressy uh steel sports watches yeah so you get yeah. a waffle dial you're getting this kind of ap-ish bracelet there's a lot there's a lot it's to like a, a heavily a heavily knurled crown kind of reminds me of the old constellation hex crowns but like i don't know i don't i really don't know what to make of this and i used to see this on a lot of people's feeds and it was like this is the alternative to you know because you're not going to get a royal oak and stuff and i'm like eh I was like, I feel like we could do better than this. I don't know. It, it's just, it's very plain. Yeah. And yeah. I got nothing to say about it. It's just, but whenever I saw it, I, I would always see it lumped in when they they put up those those graphics of you'd have the blue Nautilus, the blue Royal Oak, you know, the yeah. blue, blue date just, and then here's this, and I'm like, this doesn't belong here. Come on. I'm I'm, I'm I've always wondered if this was one of those watches that the brand itself kind of promoted for influencers on social media to like I see that out there um because again like you i saw this watch everywhere seeing who was now, peddling it that might be the case yeah maybe maybe that's what it was i don't know it's 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 not a watch that i would go for but i typically don't go for that integrated bracelet case yeah. design anyway there's very few watches that i would actually wear with that style on it um <clears throat> that said the diver version is actually kind of cool. I don't know if you've seen the version with the diving bezel. I've seen the it looks chronograph. I've it looks seen... good. What's this? They've oh, okay. expanded their sports okay. line. So yeah, I mean, it's, That's not it's horrible. It, no, it's not. And again, it, it it to me, it's a little bit more like the styling is a little bit more consistent. My only 
nitpick with it is I don't know why they put the stupid Maurice Lacroix logo on the rubber strap. Like, I, it's not necessary. <laughs> like, we already have it on the dial. I don't need it on the rubber strap to know that it's a Maurice Lacroix rubber strap. Like, it's already there. So, that said, there you go. Yeah, the dial is definitely better. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks better. It's more cohesive for the design language. The font is better. The, well, it looks know, like the, it's not trying to be something that it isn't. That's not <laughs> exactly right. It's not trying to be something else. It's just trying to be what it is. Yeah. And I can and I can jive with that. I can jive with that. All right. So if you got the icon wrapped up, not to be confused with Acon. Um, let's see here. This is a pick uh, I think might offend a few different people, but you know what? I really don't care. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Cartier Santos, the new one. It's not. Yeah, people are going to be pissed. You know, it's it's a beautiful watch in its design. It looks looks like a faithful reintroduction of the original Santos. I just liked the proportions better of the original, and especially when it comes to the bezel integration. So the new version has a fatter bezel and it kind of like teardrops into the bracelet almost. It's right. kind of the way it looks. Um, I just, I don't think it looks good. I don't think it looks right. And I think it makes the bezel feel too bloated to me. Um, and it's just like, it's, you know, Cartier is one of those brands that does a lot of weird sizing. Like they make like a super big version and they have medium sized version and they have a small version and it just like you would think that the large version would be a larger ish dress watch but this is like massive and then the medium is kind of like bordering on it's like too big for a dress watch and then small is obviously for for people with smaller wrists or or ladies um i think if you're going to go for a cartier and a santos um the santos dumont is much better now, that one, unfortunately, I believe only at this time comes in quartz, um, whereas the, the new Santos comes in mechanical. So that would be a slight there. But I think the design proportions, the slenderness of the case, the way the lugs are articulated um, and how they mesh into the flow of the strap is much better on the Dumont than it is on the actual Santos. Now, the Santos did bring some cool things to the table because it introduced, you know, the quick link system for, for Cartier, the quick change bracelet and strap system, um, which is fine. I'm all for innovative technology. The biggest thing for me when it comes to those things is how long is it going to last? Yeah, reliability. Is it, exactly. Is it going to last me a long time or is it going to be prone to a failure? And that's what I'm most concerned with. The more parts that you have that are working together to do something, the more chances are that something could fail. You know, I, it's like, I think about the bracelet. I've seen the videos where you can like push it and like pops a link out. Like what if dirt or skin or something gets stuck in there and it kind of depresses that button down, it gets it stuck. Does that mean it's just going to release my link at any time? You know, those are types of considerations that, that, that I always try to make when I'm making a purchase like this, because that is something that could come back to bite me in, in the butt in, in the long term. You know, for me, I know screws can be finicky for the non-average watch person, but realistically, it's the safest and the most secure way to make a bracelet. 
Yeah, and it's always tough with new technology because you have no long-term trial on it. Exactly. You know, and like how long exactly. could they really have tested that bracelet for? I mean, you want to get it out, right? You, you're not just trying yeah. to hold on to it to test it this whole time. You're trying to get that thing out there. So, And, and, and everyone's going to do their due diligence. They have simulated yeah. wear testing. But again, that's only going to test in a static condition. It's testing one bracelet for you know a prototype model. That's not going to say that every single one of these thousands of models that they're making this bracelet is going to work 100% of the time. I don't know. I'm not saying that it's not. But it's something that in my mind triggers me to start asking the question could this fail could this be a situation where my watch could not a cheap watch and not a cheap watch it's almost seven thousand dollars in steel it's 6800 retail in the u.s which again for an automatic watch in stainless steel kind of bordering on that sport dress watch line for me that is a lot of cash to throw down on a cartier over something else yeah, and I think I think what you're talking about before with the sizes for watches like this with this very dressy look, I find that when they offer things in many sizes that usually one or two of them are really they're just very disproportionate or there's a lot of yes. empty space or a lot yes. of negative space where when it was maybe in the smaller size or the medium size, it fits kind of perfectly in your field of view and then when you stretch it out a little bit, it's almost like when you stretch out a picture on the computer and it gets like a little yeah. blurry. It, it's distorted. It, it's just not it, pleasing yeah. to the eye. I and, find and that I with think, a lot of watches. And I think that this is largely in part to the fact that Cartier, let's just be honest, horological hot take here. Cartier is a, is a fashion brand. They are making watches for a segment of the watch community that is more concerned with branding and more concerned with fashion than traditional watchmaking. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want anybody to misconstrue that. But when I think about this watch, to me, it's a watch that was designed for a very specific end user and not the watch collector end user. Okay. Perfect key indications is the bracelet itself. Like that was designed to be sized by somebody who doesn't have a pair of screwdrivers at home. Yeah. Most watch people today that I know, they have that. They can size a bracelet or you just get it sized at the jewelry store in which you purchased it. So I, again, I don't understand why that's necessary, but there was the idea that, well, I could order it online. I could ship it directly to my house. I could have it sized at home very quickly. So to me, that's, that's indicative of a consumer that is not familiar with, with watch collecting on a large scale or doesn't have the necessary tools to facilitate this themselves. The other thing too, like you said, the sizing, right? You go from a small size and you kind of increase it. Sometimes it distorts the overall profiles and the symmetry of what the original design was supposed to be. But again, I think that's because it's a fashion statement more so than a watch design to be a watch statement. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's what I think. I think it makes sense. I am now going to spread the love out a little bit to our independent friends. Because okay. we have to show them some love. We have to be inclusive. Yes. Now, yes. I know independents are not popular in number, but these watches get plenty of play on the gram. Okay. And everybody wants to talk about how nice they are and how well they're crafted. And while that might be true, dude, the 
Constantine Chaikin like character watches. Bro, no, I don't man. I don't know. I don't know where to place these. I don't know who's wearing them. I get it that you're if you're like a rich bro and you're gonna do a rich flex, like this is what you do. You buy like silly things like this just to demonstrate that. Like a Richard meal with like the actual lollipops on it. Like this is what Can- this the is. candy Richard Mills, yeah. Like if I wanted a minions watch, I could buy a, a digital one, I'm sure, at the Disney store for ten bucks. I don't need yeah. a minion. And I don't know how this dude got, didn't get sued. Yeah, it's Disney. a little weird. You know, like it's at least 100- the Joker is a little abstract. Correct. Correct. The jack-o'-lantern, the Joker, like all of those make sense. The mouse. But the minion watch is literally like a direct ripping of a I mean, maybe I, mean, got, I, I don't maybe know. Is it DreamWorks? Is it DreamWorks? I, I don't know. It's one of those animation houses. It doesn't matter. If it was you and me, we would have been sued into oblivion. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he got some kind of permission or there's some kind of licensing a pat- patent lapse or something. I have no idea. But regardless, I don't even know how much these cost. I assume they are a ton of money. But like, I think that they're way more expensive than you think. I mean, even at a few thousand dollars, I would never buy one of these. First of all, the overall goal of a watch is to tell time. I know it. Oh, you have a phone. Nonsense. I still look at my wrist when I'm wearing a watch. I'm going to have to look at this thing. I'm going to have to figure out where its eyes are pointing. And then I'm going to have to figure out what time that is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all the while, I have a stupid character smiling back at me while everybody else is making fun of me. And then I have to explain to them, no, no, this is a flex. Okay, this is, you don't know what you're yeah. talking about. This is hot horology. Yeah. No. Not today. Yeah, I'm not... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you on this, though. This is it. it, It's this to me is a type of watch you buy when you have so much money, you don't know what to do with it. That's what it is. And on top of that, these things look like they're hockey pucks. Yeah, I mean, they're big. They're big watches, but for obvious reasons, right? Like. And I guess, you know what it is? I guess when you get to this price point, nobody complains because barely anybody can afford it. So who's really wearing it anyway? But like Richard Meals, like they're they're huge too. Yeah. That can't be comfortable looking at that thing. Again, it's not not about comfortability. It's about the flex. Yeah, poor Rafael Nadal has to play in that thing. Wow. (laughs) Poor. (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah, I mean, like, like, he has to play in it, but we also don't know if it's like actually keeping accurate time either. No, so. no, I just mean he has to actually wear that thing playing a sport. Like I would never want to do that. Well, and again, you know, they they supposedly designed them specifically for impact sports and all these G forces and the golf swing or whatever. But it's just like, okay, is it? I don't know. Is it really capable of that? I don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah, I'm just saying from a a performance standpoint. I know when I play sports, I don't like to be off my game. I I have to be comfortable. Look good, play good, feel good. It has to align. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play my my top. So having a a honking watch on my wrist is not uh, ideal for that. I'm not pulling the Odell Beckham. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. This is not a bad pick, though. 
I see these watches hyped a lot on social. Right, like, look at this. I'm like, yeah, that's neat. It's intricate, but really, WTF? Uh huh. One hundred percent. And then, have you seen the strap on the Joker model? Like, it has like a little tie. Yeah. Like it's a shirt. I'm like, oh my god. Ugh. High horology. You know. And there's so many versions. I didn't know there was this many versions. He's got like a Dracula version. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I saw the jack-o'-lantern before. It's crazy. All right, so my next pick, um, not to throw a pie in the face of John Mayer, but I'm just not a fan of the IWC Big Pilot. Sorry. 46 millimeters. It's massive watch. It looks like a dinner plate. It's silly. I don't care if you're using this as a bedside table clock or not. Um, it's just not me. It's not a watch I think looks comfortable on people unless you're like a massive person. But uh, it's just an odd watch. I think it was very much of the, you know, the later part of the 2000s, the 2010, 2011, kind of that range. That oversized look. Yeah, that's super oversized look, but I just, I don't know where they're going with this watch. It's just, I, I know they're still making it in 46, but I think things are changing now because they they just released it in, in 43. Um, but you've neutered basically all the cool aspects of it being a big pilot. Yeah, it looks, it, it doesn't scream big pilot to me. No, it doesn't without, have a date. Especially without the power reserve. It doesn't have a power reserve. Like it, it just, there's a lot of things that are missing visually for me to make that a big pilot feel. And I don't know. It's just, it's just different. So for me, big pilot, no go. And I, and I would say this specifically the current big pilots, because even the older version, like the original big pilot, I like the handset. I like the typeface for the font. All of that stuff, I like it better on that version than I do on the current model. But just not a big pilot fan. Sorry, unpopular opinion. And it was funny because we talked about last week about how a lot of my picks were in that pilot look. Now, I ha yeah. I've had the pleasure of trying this on. One of my friends used to have one. He's a bigger dude, made a lot more sense on his wrist than mine. I have a very average size wrist. Yeah, same. And... It's actually pretty flat, so it almost lended better to something like a, a big pilot. And keep in mind, I've I've owned a Panerai, uh, an Arnie. So like, those aren't small watches by any no, stretch. not not by any stretch either. Yeah. This thing was honking. It serious overhang, and I like yeah. the look. I like the oversized crown, and I'm sure they're still playing on at one point. This was a functional size for this watch. I can't remember who it is. I don't know if it's Laco or Stova. One of those companies at Windup had like a, I think it's a 55 or 58. Yeah. And it was one that used to strap around your leg. Yeah, it was a thigh-strapped version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, completely ridiculous. Totally like it's ridiculous. Not even a wristwatch. It's not even a wristwatch. It's a thigh watch. It looked almost comparable to this. Like when I had it on, I was like, this thing is enormous. Yeah. And like, yeah, on people like The Rock, yes, it makes sense. He needs something like that. Otherwise, everything yeah. looks like baby watch a toy right mm -hmm. 
So I totally get that. The strap is actually really good. The IWC leathers are very, very nice. I'll give them that. Well, and they're thick, man. Like they're they don't chintz on how much material you get. So once it breaks in, yeah, they're like substantial. Butter. Yeah, they're substantial. But it's it's just very big. And I know some people with small wrists kind of enjoy it because it's almost like they wear it like a almost like a bangle. It's not even like a a watch anymore. It's almost just like a, a gigantic bracelet type thing. But yeah, it it hangs what my buddy likes to call gangster loose. Yeah, I get you that. Know, he, it's like when you steal a watch from somebody, it doesn't and it fit doesn't you. fit. It, it's like gangster. You're not, you don't know how to micro adjust it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. It's very yeah. Funny. Shout out to you. You know who you are, gangster loose. Gangster loose. <laughs> but yeah, I. It's like one of those things. Like I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, look, is there a place for it? Sure. Like you said, I mean, guys who are, who are substantial, they have big wrists. They can pull this watch off. Us with, you know, seven-inch wrists, seven-and-a-half-inch wrists, it's a normal size. People cannot wear that watch. The overhang is just too bit, is too much. Now, if you want to rock it and you feel like that's your cool thing to do, then, hey, man, go ahead. Nobody's going to say anything about it. But I just think that that was a watch that was very cool for its time. But I think that there's a reason why IWC – released a version in 43 millimeters there just has to be i think people are moving away from that watch and especially at the price point it's like twelve thousand dollars like okay it's eight day power reserve but the 43 millimeter is around eight thousand so am I paying like more for for extra days of power reserve like i don't know like i i, I don't know I think the most so, I think the most obnoxious part about that watch is the the marketing. It's just a giant black screen that says the big pilot. Yeah. Well, let's not let's not get into old school IWC marketing. Oh, don't yeah, don't bring that up. Oh man. Don't talk about it, cancel I, I culture. Will, I will say this to our listeners. If you are ever curious about IWC's old school marketing, Google IWC marketing from the 2000s and just grab some popcorn and dive in. It, it is a very, very, very dark place. Immerse yourself in the toxic masculinity. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about toxic masculinity? That was IWC in the 2000s. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it up for you guys to do your own research and look this stuff up for yourself. But I'm just going to say this. By today's modern standards, IWC would cease to exist as a brand based on their previous marketing campaigns. So that's all I'm going to say. We're not going to weigh in one way or the other. You guys do your own independent research and, and come back to us. All right. Next up for me is a, a variant of a watch that I actually like a lot. Um, the plain Jane Zenith Defy with the blue dial, I like. The skeletonized version. <laughs> I Since this came out, I don't know where to place this thing. First of all, it looks like if Megatron had a watch, he would wear this. Yeah. Right? It's it it looks like a spinner rim. Yeah. It's kind of it's, hard it's, to tell the like time. It's like a giant star, right, in the center? Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate they put a lot of effort and thought into this, but like when you see this thing in action, I feel like I'm having a seizure. Yeah. I saw I saw the I I saw the first prototype of this watch when they first debuted the defy collection again this is many years ago 
And I remember seeing it with its like silicon oscillator and everything. Now, this isn't exactly that model, but I remember watching it through YouTube and I was getting motion sickness watching this thing happen. It was nauseating. I almost threw up because of like it, how jarring it was. You imagine you buy that and have to stare at it every single day. It would drive you nuts. It'd be crazy. It's too much. Yeah, it's very busy. And if you were going for that look like that, I want something that's super intricate looking and like I can see the mechanics through it. I get it. But I don't know if this watch is great as a wristwatch. No. And again, this is one of those watches that's that's it's going to look great for its time now. I don't know if this is a watch that's going to age well. Yeah, I could see I that. Just, if the if the trends I, turn, this thing is way off in left field. Way off. It's it it there's times where things try to be too futuristic. They try to be so innovative, but looking forward into the future that it's just like once the future finally catches up and they realize like that's not the direction the future went. <laughs> you know what I mean? That it's like, ah man. Well, this thing immediately dated itself. You know? Yeah, it's like those like inventions a, that never make it. Like the do you remember do you remember mini disc players? No, I it was between, disc. It was between CD players and MP3 players. You had mini disc. And it was heavily advertised on MTV. It was supposed to be the next wave of music player. And it was mm -hmm. this tiny little box. It was probably like a I don't know, three or four inches by three or four inches. And it just had a headphone jack and you popped it open and like a tiny floppy disk came out. And weird. Yeah. You, so you put it into this bigger Mini floppy disk. disk, like brace, and then you stick it in your floppy disk drive and you, you basically downloaded your music onto it MP3 style and you popped it in. And this was supposed to be like the cool new thing. And, and it wound up being like this trash, obsolete technology in no time. <laughs> yeah. Weird. I'm seeing it now. I've, I've legitimately never seen it. It was between CD players and MP3 players. And then came the iPod after that. Yeah, and then everything just like completely changed. And that was that. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently that's a what, Sony, that's a Sony Walkman mini disc player selling for $80. So obviously it's not somebody's buying this crap. That's for nostalgia. Yeah. Mini disc player. I Yeah, I must have missed this. I mean. You are a little younger than me, so that would make sense. Yeah, but I mean, I remember Laserdisc. Yeah. Like, and that was before CDs. <laughs> So I remember that I just, this must've been such a blip in the time spectrum that I just, I would have missed it, but I will never forget seeing the first iPod. I had it. It was a brick. You oh could, yeah. It was a killed brick. somebody with it, but I, I'll never forget when I was in, uh, and, and this was, I mean, I was young at the time, but when I was in, in school, this kid brought one and we had like, my school was built almost like a prison. So it's kind of funny to say that, but when you think about it now, you're like, yeah, it kind of was. So basically you had this like massive courtyard in the center, right? Okay. And then all the, the buildings outside. were built around it. Yep. So it was, and it was just all concrete and brick. Like this is legitimately a prison, but for kids, you know? Um, and so every morning before school would actually start, everyone would gather in the courtyard. And like, that's kind of where, 
stuff went down. Like you would talk, you'd hang out, you know, grab a bite to eat, whatever. You know, you would eat lunch there. It was kind of like a place after school. People would hang out there. It was like the place constantly. And I'll never forget this guy. One morning we had an assembly that day and he showed up and, he, and everyone was just like huddled around this dude. And I'm like, what is going on? And I walked up to him and everyone's just like, dude, let me see it. Like, let me, and like people were like elbowing each other. And like, they were like fighting over this like white brick thing. And I'm like, what with a wheel? This? You had to go around the wheel. Yeah. With the middle. Yeah, you, had, you had a wheel. And then you had the four buttons on top. This is before they integrated the buttons into the wheel. So it was, it was weird. It was just like, and it was like a black and white screen and it had the four buttons across. It. And when I finally had it in my hands, I was looking at this and I was like, what is this? And that's just like, dude, that's an iPod. It's the future. <laughs> and I was like, what's an iPod? It was just like, like looking on it now, it was such a boomer moment. But like at that time, I was just like, I don't, what is this? And little did I know it was the future yeah of everything so it was not now now you can listen, dial <laughs> you know now you can listen to Richie's radio on your iphone screw your ipod here we are living the dream the streaming life the streaming life man that's that's what it is all right you're up there big guy yeah i don't know how many more i can get through because i'm losing my voice midstream as it's constantly going down um but I will say this. Uh, I feel like this one gets some love, but also some equal hate. But I'm going to throw it out there because I just absolutely cannot stand it. I'm going to go with the Rolex Explorer 1 in two-tone. The Rolex millimeter. I, I hate to watch. There's, there's literally zero redeeming qualities about it. That's it. That's what it is. It is a watch that was never designed to be in two-tone. It was a field watch, military inspired, you know, cave splunking, whatever you want to call it. It's an adventurer's watch. And to put it into a two tone completely bastardizes what it was supposed to do. And for me, this is 100% a money grab from the crowd because they knew that everyone was going to lose their crap over it going back to 36 millimeters after they just released it in 39 millimeters, like two years prior, discontinue that model, re-release it in 36 millimeters. Everyone lost their mind. Oh, and by the way, we're going to do a two-tone. Sorry, Danny Milton. This watch sucks. <laughs> That's it. It's confused. It doesn't make sense. It's dressy, but then you look at the the font on the dial and it's like too sporty. It it it, it is quite literally a watch that does not make sense in two tone. Submariner makes sense in two tone. I don't know why. It just looks good. This watch arguably looks like trash in two tone. Even even the sea dweller. Yeah, they had a sea dweller in two tone. In forty three in two tone does not look as hideous as this watch. And what was the craziest thing? was I was talking to a Rolex retailer when this watch was announced. And he goes, finally, thank God. And I was like, what? He goes, well, I finally have Rolex's really first mainstream professional watch line for ladies. Oh. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm to be honest with you, I'm not really going to sell this to men. 
I'm going to sell it to their wives. They've been asking for a two-tone sports model. I'm like, yeah, but what about the Yacht Master? He's like, the Yacht Master 36 or the Yacht Master, whatever the size is. He's like, it's tiny. But I was like, this is the same size. He goes, yeah, but the dial is bigger. The other watch feels small because the bezel makes the dial, you know, smaller, the opening smaller. He's like, this feels bigger. It's going to feel like a date just. It's going to feel like, you know, Oyster Perpetual, but it's going to be in two-tone. And it's going to be a very different model. He goes, this is going to sell it crazy. He's like, but I'm not selling it to men. I'm selling it to women. I'd and be curious me, if, you, if you met up with him again and see if uh, that came true. The prophecy. No, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to ask. Like, if I'm ever down that way again in the middle of rural country, <laughs> talk to this dude, maybe. But I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that that watch is it just unequivocally for me is just horrible. Sorry. Okay, you got any other ones on your list there? The last one that I'm gonna I'm gonna mention, um, <laughs> and this is gonna get again. This is probably gonna trigger some people. I am not a fan at all of the snowflake. Like the Grand Seiko snowflake just does nothing for me. I hate the power reserve indicator. I don't like the, the the spring drive movement. It's just like dial aside. Okay, it looks nice. It's just not a watch for me. I would say between that one and the most recent white birch version that came out, white birch all the way. I'm just they, there's they just something birch now. <laughs> do they? Yeah. But I was just there's just something about the original snowflake that just does not it does not do it for me. But arguably, that's kind of like the Grand Seiko, in my opinion, that put Grand Seiko kind of mainstream in people's minds. Yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of the Grand Seiko. Yeah. I know. That's kind of like insulting, like, a good percentage of the watch industry. And you have a you have a snowflake, right? No, I have the – it's the seasons. It kind of looks like a snowflake, but – Okay. You know, similar idea, textured, power reserve. Spring yeah, I don't know. It just it just never never did it for me. But the new version, like the white birch series or the birch series, I guess now if they have a teal one, the handset, the the font, that you know the 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 aggressiveness of the patterning on the dial, I think looks better. It looks much better. Ninety nine problems, but a birch ain't one. You know, there it is. Apparently, my voice is one. <laughs> It's gotten progressively deeper as we as we've gone on today. <laughs> like trying to hold on, guys. I'm holding on for you. Holding on. All right, I've got a couple more here. One of them we already Wait touched on. on. One of them we already touched on was the the Seiko Five. I don't know if you want to call it a diver. The SKX mm. replacement, Five KX, whatever yeah, yeah, you want to call yeah. it. I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't live up to to the SKX. It's not. It's not the, it's not it the same. Doesn't. It's not the same. I understand the gripe about the screwed iron crown. It's 100% valid. Right? It's not. I don't think it's ISO certified. No, because it's not a dive watch. No loom pit. Like, like, what are you? Like a watch pretending to be a dive watch? Because like that's essentially what it is. And, and I, we talked about this on an earlier episode last year. Um, I think I mentioned it, like, kind of like when we talk about, like, entry your watches. But I was torn with like 
suggesting this because of all of those reasons you just listed. Yeah. It, it's like, because I, I remember what it was like to, to get in the watches and buy an SKX when you could pick them up for like 180 bucks and 100, you know, 200 bucks. And like, it was an ISO, ISO certified dive watch, 200 meters water resistant, unidirectional bezel, screw down crown, insane loom, you know, and it was a strap monster. And it felt like a piece of Seiko legacy. Yeah. This doesn't feel and like they, that. And they just threw kerosene on it and just lit it ablaze, burned it in effigy, and then gave us the dress KX and the 5KX. And this then, is horrible. I guess this is what, I don't know if this is Seiko's deal or what, but this appears to be the one that everybody's going to drop their own limited edition in. Right? You had that that strange rowing blazer situation, and then now yep. I think I yep. think Warren and Wad is doing their own. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm curious. Yeah, man, this is this is like it's like what all the micro brands do. No offense to some of the micro brands out there. It's just like no, this is like what generic micro brands do, like ones with that, that, I mean, no that's personality. My okay. let, that, let me rephrase that because again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna piss off people. Like Halios is not going to a catalog and picking out cases. Like they're they're doing all this stuff themselves. But generic micro brands like stuff that you're gonna find on Alibaba on Kickstarter. or <laughs> Kickstarter, you know, a lot of these things that are not established yet. They are choosing cases and dials and everything, handsets from a very specific list of generic versions that are made in Malaysia or China or wherever. And they all just end up looking the same. And I think it's, you know, that's kind of what, what this 5KX series is, is really becoming is anybody can just kind of generically pick dials and color combinations and, and everything. And it's just like, cool, we'll just put it out there. Like when you when you make a watch for Street Fighter, like why? Why? You don't look like Naruto. <laughs> they even made like a like a Baruto one, which is like I guess it's like his son or something like that. Oh gosh! You're like there's like like why? I don't I don't get it. I think they just got tired of modders and they're like, you know, what? we're gonna make our own crazy mods. That is one hundred percent what I think it is. Is they were tired of people making money on the mod scene. They're like, well, let me just give you a watch you're going to mod anyway. And we'll kind of like give you stuff to mod it with because we're going to start out with crazy colors and different bezels. And, and, and that's how the that's how the dress KX came out. Like that was a modded version of, a, of an SKX with the smooth bezel. Like we talked about this, but yeah, there you go. There's my rant. Not a good watch, not a good replacement for an SKX. All right. And then my my end game, this one. I'm going to have to ask you about this one because it's one that I've never understood. I know it's a, a big favorite among a lot of people. It's one I could just never get around, bro. What's good with the Ploprof? Oh, dude, don't, don't do this to me. It looks like the Millennium Falcon. I love it. I love it. It I is an so albatross. It, yeah, but it was never... De- the, what's funny, um, it was never designed to be a beautiful watch. It was designed to be a tool, 100%. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's what it is. There was, even, there was even advertising campaigns back in the 70s because this watch was only around, like, I think it went into full production like 1970, and I think it was officially discontinued in the catalog by like 1978, 1979. So, like, it was not around for very long. But they had advertising campaigns that was like, on the surface, it's okay, but deep down, it's beautiful. Like, they knew it was ugly. Like, Omega knew. 
but it was never designed to be a watch that you would wear like with a blazer. Like it was designed to be a watch. You're going to strap on a neoprene suit and go diving and push the boundaries of, of ocean exploration. Like that's what it was supposed to be. It had this ridiculously giant button sticking out the side of it because it allowed you to operate the bezel bi-directionally without accidentally bumping it one way or the other. It would literally lock the bezel in place. What, what was cool about this is because you could depress it and rotate it this allowed you for quick, rapid setting of a bezel with gloves. You didn't have to go all the way around to line it up. You could just pop it and flip it one way or the other. And as soon as you released it, it depressed the, the, the bezel mechanism to prevent it from moving. You had a ingenious crown integration, which basically created a watertight case. And, and, and I say that kind of loosely, but it was so watertight that it was actually more hermetically sealed than like the spacecrafts that took us to the moon and submarines at the time. Like this watch, why I love it so much is because of the history about it. And nobody really knows about it because it got overshadowed by Rolex. Rolex had their, their submariner and subsequently will become, you know, the sea dwellers that were issued to Comex. Well, Omega was issuing their timepieces to Comex first. And actually, they were working with Comex to create this Ploprof watch. And what was interesting about it is the Ploprof was the first ever commercial watch in the world to use a very specific type of, of stainless steel. Back then, it was called Uranus stainless steel, which we know today as 904L stainless steel, mm -hmm. which is the stainless steel that Rolex uses in all of its sports models. The Seamaster the, the Plobar was the first watch in history to do it um, and, and in any production capacity. So any vintage Ploprof that you see on the market today was made out of 904L steel. First time ever, which is very cool. Um, but what was interesting is Rolex created the Sea Dweller with the helium escape valve, right? They partnered with Doxa, which is also a lesser known part of history that people don't know. They partnered with Doxa to create the original gas helium valve. Somehow, in some way, Rolex was, I guess, first to market with the technology. And so Doxa had the ability to produce it, but they didn't have the really the ability to market it, um, which, again, also why Doxa faded to obscurity, just like gone. So Rolex creates a helium escape valve. The Ploprof was designed for helium to never enter into the watch itself. It was that sealed. And the reason why this was a consideration and why Unfortunately, it took longer for the Ploprof to come to market is simply because helium actually has an, a slight adverse effect on the rotation of the balance wheel when helium is inside the watch case. So Rolex decided, was like, well, you know, it might have a side effect. It's a variance that, you know, a tolerance that we're willing to deal with. We'll just create a way for it to safely dump the helium out when you, when you go through your decompression phases. Omega was like, no, that's not good enough. We don't want helium to ever get into the watch. So we're going to build literally a submersible tank that you can strap to your wrist and go diving with because we don't want to, there to be any effect on the balance rotation of the balance wheel or the time, timekeeping accuracy at all, period. And that was really the Achilles heel that kind of ruined the Ploprof for commercialization because it delayed its market release by about a year, if not two years, where, you know, and Rolex was already slapping, you know, Comex subs and, and Comex sea dwellers on everybody. 
And so it became the diving watch. But I love the Plofrof because it is an ugly watch. It was never designed to be a beautiful one. It was designed to be a highly functional tool. Speaking of a watch I actually like a lot when it doesn't have this ridiculous thing on it. What's up with the heat shield on the Alaska project? What do you want to know about it? What, what purpose does that giant red thing serve? Well, keep in mind, the original, the original Alaska project looks very different than what we saw that was released in 2008 as the limited edition version. Um, but essentially what the Alaska project was, was a new type of moon watch that Omega was going to position for NASA when they were going to get recertified up for the future of spaceflight. Because keep in mind, we, the last lunar mission that we had was Apollo 17. From what I understand, there was already missions planned up through Apollo 20, okay? Because of funding and budget cuts and the fact that we had already been on the moon several times, NASA just decided to cut the program and start focusing on the future of space flight, which would have been the space shuttle and subsequently the space station, right? But Omega was already in development of a new prototyped watch designed for those future later missions, and essentially, they had taken some feedback from the astronauts that actually orbited, you know, did low Earth orbit on the Gemini project, as well as the Apollo project, and created a new prototype watch. And that's what they called internally the Alaska project. It wasn't tested in Alaska. It was an internal code that they used so that people wouldn't be able to discern what their, pro what their projects were about. So they always said that they used some type of city or state or country name in association with a new pro, pro, uh, project. And this one just happened to be called Alaska. Now, what was unique about the Alaska project, and we're getting on a big tangent here, but what's unique about it is it was designed to be all of the things that were wrong with the, let's say, the, the standard Moonwatch enhanced for a new version. So you'll see that the, the, this Alaska project had an inverted dial. Yep. So it went from black to white. Why? Because white... Um, does not reflect, it does not absorb uh, um, light the way that black dials do. The black dials on the, on the moon watches, especially when they were doing like orbiting or EVA walks, they would get very hot with the sun because black absorbs heat. So they were, they, the watches themselves were getting very hot. So NASA was like, okay, well, let's reverse the colors. We'll make the dial predominantly white and we'll do black accents. So you still have the contrast there. They also added what they call the, the capsule hands. So if you look on the counters, they have like a fat triangle bottom to it. Yeah, I like those. It, yeah, it looks sick. But it's kind of like the, the splashdown capsules that the astronauts used to ride down yes. in on the Apollo missions. Those were made at a quick, those were made for a way to quickly discern the orientation of the chronograph hands when you were floating around in zero G, right? So like, let's say you're upside down reading your Speedmaster, it's already sometimes difficult enough to read the small little hand yep. on the dial. So they made a fat bottom so you could quickly tell, okay, this is upright, this is down, left or right. I can tell where the orientation of the hand is, especially if you're tumbling around or doing active stuff. And the red case was designed out of basically anodized aluminum, and it was designed to be an alternative heat shield to make the watch that much more cooler when it was strapped on the wrist of the astronauts in you know exposure to space elements what was also unique about it is it had enlarged pushers yeah i see that on the case itself 
so that it made it easier to operate the chronograph function with gloves. So there you go. I've always wondered about this watch. It is an awesome watch, and it's it's no surprise why it's continually climbing in value. Well, without this I giant hope- red thing, it looks super cool. <laughs> Dude, and that's the thing that people didn't understand. This watch literally came with everything. It came with the, the regular watch, the regular bracelet. It came with the red case. It came with a, a, a NATO-style strap that you could wear the watch on itself. And then another NATO-style strap that you could wear the watch in the red case and then on that strap. So, like, it had all of these different configurations and ways to wear this watch. Plus the spring bar tools, spring bars, and all this cool stuff. It was a really cool box set back in the day in 2008. And I remember seeing this watch come through and literally you could not sell it. You literally could not pay people to buy it. It was so repulsive for everyone. Because people saw this red case and like, why the hell would I wear this? And like, nobody clicked that you didn't have to wear the red case. Yeah, that's definitely not obvious at first. (laughs) No, it's not. Because it was just pictured that way. And I was like, this is dumb. Like, I'm not going to wear this. But then you're like, oh, I can unhook the watch from the case and wear it like normal. Oh, that's kind of sick because it's a white dial Speedmaster. How many white dial Speedmasters for the U.S. market have you ever seen? They're basically non-existent. There's the most recent Snoopy. I was going to say Snoopy. The previous 2015 Snoopy. And then the Alaska Project. That's it. And that's, I mean, like, and and that's a white dial, not a silver dial, right? Like, because technically, technically the, uh, the blueberry CK299 had a silver dial. The new Canopus Gold has a silver dial. But a traditional white dial Speedmaster is, is almost, especially for the U.S. market, extremely rare extremely rare do you know who you kind of sound like with your raspy voice you sound like jonah hill i sound like jonah hill i'm I'm getting super bad flashbacks i don't know what he says in that movie i don't know if you could repeat half of it (laughs) oh we could be those guys you know like that's what i'm getting (laughs) did he was it that when he said i feel terrible no, that was a different movie. But see, it is okay. same. It's still Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah, Either way. yeah, yeah. But I guess before uh, before Schmidt's larynx goes running out of his body, I, I think we should probably yes. call this one where it is. Yeah, so uh, I I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, thank you everybody for joining us and uh, having fun. Um, you know, if, if any of these watches are on your your hit list, please don't uh, don't take it too personally. We're just having fun. But thanks for joining us. Have a good one. We'll catch you next week on Wrist Cheese Radio. Thanks, guys. Thank you.